today is just nitty gritty stuff. It's just what do you do about discipline? It's not a favorite subject, but oh my goodness, it's where you camp and right now at this stage of your life. So we're gonna talk about, we've talked about reinforcement, specifically that attention both negatively and positive can be very rewarding to many children. It's really hard not to get pulled into that negative attention. And um, I want you to be aware of it, but I don't want you to feel guilty about it because you do. We all get pulled into it. It's, it's hard not to. But to the level that we can think in terms of being more positive, it is, um, there are a few tricks of the trade that some of us have learned through the years. And so I teach kindergarten on Wednesday night, and they're just an adorable group of children. And, and they're all sitting there, and they're ready for the story. And I, don't, I have learned not to ever say, quit talking. I just, oh, I see that so-and-so is ready to listen. I see that Case is looking at me. Everybody straightens up. It's just so much more positive than saying, you know, whatever. Um, but trying to be positive. For those of you who were here last week, I told you a long, painful story of teaching my four-year-old to work <coughs> because I reinforced whining behavior until I well established whining behavior and had to spend a good bit of time undoing that. Language development, I do believe, has something to do with the terrible twos because we don't understand what they're asking and then we give in and reinforce because we do understand it in the process. Again, we have um, encouraged um, bad behavior. Now, I, I want to be careful about this one. Intrinsic motivation, that means from outside of us. That's when we give somebody the M&M, okay? Um, if you do it long enough, in other words, you do it to establish a behavior, but then you want to wean a child off of that. Most of you that have six-year-olds are not still giving M&Ms for going to the potty. Because for most children, staying dry and clean is intrinsically motivating enough that once they learn to do it, they'll do it. And they will question you, some of them will, when you quit giving the M&M. Why didn't I get an M&M today? Well, you're going to be a little bit bigger. You don't need that now. You know how to do it. But I still want it. I know, but we're not doing that anymore, okay? But the idea is you don't want to be giving a outside reward. Hey, come on in. And there's donuts if you're hungry. Um, an outside reward, an extrinsic reward, beyond when it's absolutely necessary to train the behavior. You want the child not to get along with your sibling, not to play nicely because they're going to get a reward at the end of it, but because it's just the right thing to do. It feels good. Again, this is process. All of this is process, okay? All right. Okay. This is the hardest thing and one of the most important things I'm going to tell you today. Be consistent. Um, only Choose only the behaviors you're going to address every time. Okay? You can't work on it all. Okay? You will, what you will, what, what I would do is I wouldn't end up being good about any of them. And so I'm constantly fussing and working and nothing's happening. I'm seeing no success. And frankly, I need to see success. 
I have a lawnmower. I love my lawnmower. I have a big yard and I do the grass cutting because you get to sit when you do it. But you can see your progress. You can see line by line that you've done it. With kids, you don't get to see that kind of progress. So if you pick out 20 things, you're not going to do it. So obviously for the younger child, you pick the safety issues. They're the ones we're going to work on first. You know, you don't run when I say stop. That's a huge one for a young child. Um, and have some grace. Come on in, sit down. Have some grace for yourself when, when uh, your child, when you haven't tackled that behavior yet. Um, I think probably all of you are too young to have known Ruth Rucker. Some of you may know her by reputation. Some of you might have. She was um, just a mentor to a great many of us. She had a bunch of kids, a couple of uh, false, uh, adopted kids. She began the kindergarten here at Alta Creek a long time ago. A no-nonsense, genuine, transparent woman that many of us learn from. I have a number of Ruth's sayings, but this is one of my favorites. Don't tell a child no unless you're willing to get off the, off the couch and make it happen. And I cannot tell you how many times that has played in my head when I have said no and I was sitting down exhausted. I got to get up and follow through with this, okay? So if you've got 20 things that you're saying no to, you're just not going to have the energy to do that. So pick out a few things. And then once you get them established, then you can move on to something else, okay? And you're going to pick different things. Um, I have two sets of grandchildren that are quite similar in ages. Um, one lives here and one lives in New Orleans. <laughs> I remember when those kids that are now 18 were three, when we would go out to eat, frankly, with Amy's children, she had the bag, and the bag went everywhere that you had to go to keep a child quiet. And so it had toys and snacks and things in it that the kids were not allowed to play with any other time. And she, when we went out to eat, she took the bag. And so as soon as they got through eating, the bag came out and they had little books and little M&Ms and uh, little puzzles and all sorts of little toys that they could sit quietly at the table while we could visit. My other daughter didn't go there. She never seemed to get the bag together. And frankly, when we took her family out to eat, it was absolute chaos. <laughs> now, in fairness, I couldn't argue with their decisions because Amy's family went out to eat pretty much. Perry's family didn't go out to eat very often. It just wasn't worth the energy to work on that at that time. She did eventually, and I assure you that her children are lovely to go out to eat with now. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? So choose what makes sense for your family. Okay? All right. Pick your battles carefully because when a parent picks a battle, it's important that the parent win. That's from a quote from Dobson. I don't really like the quote, but I think it's right. I don't like the quote because it, it paints something as adversarial. And I don't want there to be an adversarial relationship between you. This is not about your winning and the child losing. That's what I don't like about the quote. But what is important about this is the child does need the security 
of knowing that the parent is in control. Your child will not thank you for this. He will actively resist. That's his job. But you give your child a secure environment by letting him know what the boundaries are. Okay. I am going to embarrass Becky Collins now. Um, I've known Becky a long time. I hired her in two different schools. I hired her when I worked as director of Otter Creek. I hired her when I was principal at Lipscomb Academy. So I have great admiration for her skills. I, I, I give her credit for some of my son's success in life because she introduced him to the um, to number concepts when he was four and he loved it. I happened to be visiting at Lipscomb last week and walked by Becky's class. Yes, she's in a new classroom and I was looking and just as I was walking to the door, she was getting up to deal with a child who needed some restructuring and fact had to remove the child from the table where the child was. And after it was over and things were calm again, Becky came and Miss Becky, that was absolutely an inappropriate response to me. Okay? Okay. Now what I'm saying is you're gonna have to be really careful how you label what you need to do with your children. And some of your best parenting will occur when you have to remove, when you have to intervene when you have a teenager stomping their foot and saying, I hate you, you're awful, you're running, ruining my life, okay? Those are not easy moments. And they're, it, you're not a bad parent because you're in those moments. You can do some of your best parenting there, but you're gonna have to label it as such, otherwise they will just exhaust you, okay? Are, are, you, are you with me on this? So if you think, oh, I had an awful day. We were, you know, we had this crisis and that crisis and that crisis. I would like for you to relabel. I had crises all day. And I did a pretty decent job of coping with them, okay? You cannot control all the ways your children are going to test you. You can only control your response. And if you can feel good about your response, then let's give ourselves some pat on the shoulder because your kids are not going to give that to you. I'm a big believer in parents being able to help each other with that and reinforce that. Okay. I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to circle again and again and again. Discipline needs to be paired with teaching, empathy, respect, restitution. You want the child to do what's right from inside, not from fear of what's happening. You're going to always pair this. In other words, this is the authoritative parent that has control but still has a lot of warmth and caring in the relationship. So everything is a teaching moment. Okay? For those of us who have made our living during teaching, I think this comes particularly a little bit more naturally. 
but I would say to you, see everything as a teaching moment. And so when you're disciplined, I am so sorry that you threw the toy on the floor. I know that you were really angry, but that is not how we handle toys. And so the toy is going to have to be in time out because next time I bet you're going to remember not to throw the toy on the floor. You're not just saying, time out. Now, when you have given that explanation twice and the child says, I don't know why you're taking my toy away, you don't need to repeat it. They're not listening. They're hassling you, okay? But I'm a big believer, let's pair everything with the reason because eventually I want that reason to come into their heads. I'll admit I overdid this. I, my children... You know, you, you would, and it was almost like, yes, mother, we know the speech. La, 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 la. But I want them, I want that tape to run in their head. That's, that was my goal. Questions? Okay. Punishment can be avoided by getting up off the couch and assisting the child in brushing his teeth, picking up the toys, etc. Um, I remember visiting the daughter in New Orleans, and she had three children, the oldest of whom was probably six at this point, the youngest was a little more than a year, and my other daughter was there visiting, and she had two within that same range, and we had been out doing something, and we had come in, and we were exhausted, and it was past bedtime, and she said, come here, and she pulls all her children together, and I thought, what is she doing, just get in pajamas and let's go to bed, and she pulled them out, and she said, we're going to be secret agents tonight. I'm going to give each one of you a mission, and you go and do your mission and report back to me. Well, two of them had the mission of going to put pajamas on. Two of them had the mission of going to brush teeth. I don't remember what it was, but she got those kids in bed, and half the time that it would have taken me just to say, you're going to go do this, I don't want any hassle, it's late, get on with it. Now, did it take more energy at that moment to say, going to be secret agents? Absolutely. But to the extent that you can pull that together, that's a better response than just barking orders. It's better because you're going to feel better about it because you're going to get less resistance. I remember vividly Amy's Drew, who's now six, but he was about two at the time, and she he pulled out all these books from the shelf, and she <coughs> said, Drew, we need to pick up the No, I'm just too tired. And, and when Drew gets too tired, he just gets tired all over. He's just too tired. And she says, no, we're going to pick up a few of the books. I'll help you. And I remember her literally pretty close to dragging him across the room. You know that, you know that resistance that you get. Her taking his hand, picking up the book, and putting it on the shelf. I mean, they put about five books back on the shelf with her hand doing it all. She was gonna fall through. He was gonna pick up the books. She didn't punish, she didn't spank, <coughs> she didn't rant and rave. She just said, we are gonna pick up the books. So those are very, very successful. I, I remember Drew was, he went through this period and I almost felt guilty because it was just so purely manipulative in some ways <laughs> on my part. But if you wanted him to do something, he'd say, you know what? We need to find your shoes. But you probably aren't big enough to go and find your shoes alone. <laughs> he was so proud of himself. He'd be back with those shoes in 30 seconds. Or, you know, 
it's time, whatever it is, he would be, he, he, it was just like pushing a button. He couldn't wait. Of course, he got older and that passed. But, but it's not, there's nothing wrong with using those kinds of tricks of the trade to make it a little easier for yourself. Um, for older children, tying privilege to responsibility. Or I even remember with Drew saying a whole lot, um, when the toys are picked up, we'll go outside. I'm not punishing at all. This is just what we're going to do. But he loves to go outside. And so, yeah, the toys get picked up. Oh, I'm ready to go outside. Oh, let's check the toys. Oh, there are a few more that need to be picked up. I mean, it, again, it's pleasant. It's not... You're not being mad about it. Now, when they pitch a fit, we're going to talk about that in a minute because they don't want to pick up the toys. We'll talk about that a little bit more. With older kids, I, I really do think tying responsibility uh, to privilege is huge. I think, I think it's hard to do with very young children, but it doesn't take much, and especially some of you that have gotten these older ones. You know, um, for a much older one, I, I remember one grandchild was just a procrastinator. He just, it was always Sunday night at 8 o'clock when he would decide, oh yeah, I need to get the books out and did I really have an assignment this weekend? And he, and so his mother took over. Okay, I'm going to start telling you when you're going to do homework. And he hated it. And so at periodical intervals, she would say, okay, we're going to try this again. Do you think you can manage it? And the first few times he couldn't. And it was back to mother telling him when he was going to do the homework. But once it clicked, he is so, he was so proud of the fact that he got to decide. And he knew the, he knew the responsibility that he was enjoying was, the privilege, was contingent upon him, you know, pulling it off. But that's, that's, that's very valid. I will tell you something else that I discovered way too late. People don't really like to be told what to do, and so the more freedom you can give even a child. My husband is as mellow and easygoing as you have ever encountered. But I have discovered, he, and he always empties the trash. I don't know why we have such rigid developed, you know, responsibilities at our house, but he always empties the kitchen trash. Rather than saying, would you empty the trash, if I say, you know, whenever it's convenient. I'm sorry, it makes a difference. I learned from my teenage son, he had some yard work responsibilities. If I said, Doug, you've got to go do the weeding now, I could count on resistance. If I would say, I don't care when you do the weeding, you decide, but it has to be done by four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. It was so different because they have, some, and even for a young child, you can say, do you want to brush your teeth first or take your bath first? You don't care. Pick two outfits. Do you want to wear this one or this one? I still want to wear that one. No, these are our choices. Do you want to wear this one or that one? Why don't you decide? It's empowering for the child. It's respectful. Okay. Okay. Punishment is best used when training has been precise and consistent so that the behavior is understood. This is as much for your sake as anybody else's. You're going to, you are tender, caring people. And I think you'll have a hard time following through if you're not sure it's the right thing. Okay? 
And I don't want to take your tenderness away from you. But consistency and following through on the part. Okay. And punishment by definition is unpleasant. It's something that you are going to use to decrease the likelihood of the behavior being repeated. Now, I, some of you are going to really disagree with me, and, and I'll, 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 I, I accept that there, there's a valid disagreement to this. But I see an awful lot of punishment, not even real severe, but punishment. And then the child says, I'm so sorry. And then mother spends 20 minutes hugging and kissing and carrying on over the child afterwards. I'm all for hugging and kissing, but I would encourage you to separate it slightly from the punishment because I think it's really easy for the child to think it's worth being hugged if I'm going to get all that much attention for a while. Does, does that make sense? Okay. Punishment that is not working might look like this. Now, um, some of the things that we're going to punish have a lot of positive perks to them for the child. I'm going to use one from a little bit older, um, and some of you are going to remember some of this. When my son, now please understand, he's in eighth grade, his mother is a principal, his father is an elder, and he, he wants to be a good kid, but he doesn't want to be goody two-shoes either. And he's in a class where the teacher probably should have retired earlier. Um, she doesn't hear very well. And it was really cool to sit in the back of the classroom and make noises. Do you remember any of this, Brooke? Does that sound vaguely familiar? Brooke was in school with my son. Um, it was terribly disrespectful. And I remember saying, you are not to do this. It is wrong on every level. It is unkind. This is an older woman. It's disrespectful. I was, but I knew that the perk to participating in that bad behavior was to be cool, which was one of the most important values in his life as a 13-year-old. And I wasn't sure, frankly, there was anything legal or ethical that I could do <laughs> that would offset that. And I remember saying, I don't know what I will do to you, but I will, I will think of something. Knowing, oh, well, I have no idea. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? There is, you know, there's something really fun about playing in a mud puddle. It may be worth 15 minutes in time out to do it. So you've got to balance all that with, with what you're trying to teach, okay? So if you are punishing a behavior and it continues and continues and continues, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you that you've got to relook at it. Maybe you're punishing a behavior that they are not mature enough to stop. If you're punishing them because they will not sit quietly by you in church for an hour and a half, and they're 18 months old, I'll tell you what the problem is there. They can't do it, okay? And there are some five-year-olds that cannot sit quietly for a whole hour, okay? You may have 
one that could sit forever. Like I told you, my firstborn child, you put a book in her hand from a very early age, she would sit forever. But my son-in-law, who I adore, they talk about, his parents talk about, he was so hyperactive. They talk about taking him to eat out and putting him in a high chair between them. Mother on this side, daddy on this side. Mother holds this leg down, daddy holds that leg down. So don't ask him, even as a five-year-old, to sit for an hour. That is just more to do, okay? Am I making sense on this? Punishments like medicine, it's absolutely necessary. It should be administered carefully, <coughs> dosage, but you've got to give it consistently. If you're going to punish, do it consistently. Okay, logical consequences are great. The younger the child, the closer the time of the announced punishment can be. This is like, I think some of these might be a little bit too conservative. For a six year, eight year old, I don't think, in other words, I think for a six-year-old you can say, you have lost TV time or screen time or whatever you all do. You've lost it for two days. There are some infractions. They can understand it. What I don't think you want to do is wait for two days to announce the punishment for what they've already done. And for a very young child, punishment that's way off is not connected. I, I remember, oh, a little fourth grade boy that was having lots of problems and his daddy said, if you won't get, if you won't get sense to the principal, uh, we'll go to Disneyland next summer. You know, really, really? He's having trouble getting through the day. Don't talk to me. About, don't talk to him about what's going to happen next summer. That's not going to work. So the closer in time, the better. And I, I am not a fan, except for very serious offenses. I'm not a fan of saying wait till your daddy comes home. I, I, I just. I think you deal with what's on your watch. Now, there are, especially with older children, it is a way to get their attention to say, this, this is really serious, and your mother and I are going to have to talk about it, or your father and I are going to have to talk about it. But generally speaking, I don't think it's fair to push off on the other parent. Okay, we're going to talk about temper tantrums. I have just read a new book that I found fascinating on this subject. Um, it's the whole brainchild. I, it's just really, I think it's interesting research. But he talks a lot about the downstairs brain and the upstairs brain. And your downstairs brain is kind of instinctual. It's impulsive. It has to do with uh, fight and flight phenomena. Um, it's a reaction, deep emotions. Your upstairs brain is your logic, your understanding, your empathy, the higher skills that we want to move our children to. Okay, but he says that they're temper tantrums, and when I'm using temper tantrum, I'm using that in a very broad. I'm not just talking about the child that flails on the floor. I'm also talking about the ten-year-old that just is screaming at the top of their lungs. Okay, both of those it seems to me are temper episodes. Um, but he says, and you don't have to buy this. I do buy it. That there are two different kinds of temper tantrums, and depending on the kind of temper tantrum, you might want to respond differently to that. So, um, upstairs temper tantrums are when a child decides to throw a fit. Decides being a key word. Let me give you a perfect example. Howard Justice used to tell this story. Howard was the social worker that began the Agape program many years ago and very, very wise. And he talks about a grandchild coming in, he had a tool 
tools, um, wonderful collection of tools in his garage. And the grandson, the four-year-old grandson, was out there, and he'd given him a hammer and several tools to work with. And the child had spied another tool that he wanted up on the wall. And he said, "I want that one." And I would say, "No, I'm sorry. I think that one's just a little too sharp." <coughs> and the child just falls on the floor and screams. Just he just can't bear this disappointment. Howard is so mellow, and he's going on. He's working in his bench. And the child carries on for quite a while and then all of a sudden stops. He gets up, he walks in the house, he goes to the bathroom, he walks back out, falls back on the floor, and continues. <laughs> this is a upstairs brain tantrum. This is a tantrum that says, I think this will help. Okay? And <laughs> the authors suggest don't t negotiate with the terrorist. I, I think that's right. I think that's right. You don't negotiate with that. You don't give in to it. Don't give it, don't let this get bad attention from you. If you say, I can't believe you're doing this, just look the other way. Just don't give it any attention at all. Now, because you are smart and you have <coughs> smart children, where are they going to choose their best effort at tantruming? in public, at the grocery store, in front of your mother-in-law, they're not stupid. And this is not bad. They want this to work. When do you ask for a raise? When you think the boss is most likely to give it to you. When are you going to put the temper tantrum on? When you're most likely to get it. And some of you are thinking, oh, I can't believe they're that. I mean, they're smart, okay? Now, if you reward that upstairs brain tantrum, it's gonna come back. It's gonna, and because you've, even if you just reward it once, even if you don't reward it the next time, well, your mother was just tired and didn't catch on this time. I'll try that again, okay? That's the nature of rewarding negative behavior, okay? Questions? And yes, do I know how awful that looks? Yes. I know. I, you, you've got the grocery cart full, and you're checking out, and they want the candy bar, and you say no, and you see the temporal tantrum coming, and you've got a choice. I can give them the candy bar, and I can check out and go home with my groceries, or I can leave $80 worth of groceries in that cart for somebody to have to restock and walk out of here. But I warn you, if you don't walk out, you're going to be buying that candy bar every time you go through it. Now, I would love to empower you to just let him scream and check out anyway. But it I have even been known to go up to a parent to say, I am so proud of you. A stranger. <laughs> because it's hard. But that is the right thing to do. Okay. I have a question for you. Yes. I don't have a teenager yet, but I will. Um, so what does a temper tantrum look like in a teenager, and how do you handle it? I can't believe you would do this. Everybody does this. Everybody is going, you are ruining my life. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's much more emotional weight. We're trying to make them feel like a bad guy. Oh, all the, and they're going to get better at it because they're going to be more mature, and they're going to know what buttons to punch, and they're going to, um, oh, do they know what buttons to punch? <laughs> 
<laughs> you're going to get so tired of my stories. I had just gone to work at Lipscomb, and it was a huge step for me uh, career-wise. And I felt a, <laughs> considerably in over my head at first. And I was working very, very hard. And my son was in fifth grade, and I remember one night, I don't remember what it was, but he talked back in a very disrespectful way. And I said, hey, buddy, that's not going to fly. You, you will not do that. And he looked at me and he said, mother, I'm, I, I, I'm just like those kids at school. I'm just not getting enough attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't. He was absolutely right. And he knew I felt guilty about him. So let's use it. That's not because he's a bad kid. That's because he's a smart kid, okay? And fortunately, I had enough chocolate that day that I could say to him, you're right, you're not getting enough attention right now. I hope that's going to get better. But no matter how much attention you get, you can't talk that way. Okay, now this is what I find more very interesting. Downstairs brain tantrums are more primitive and often without logic. They often involve fear, panic, a lot of emotion, especially anger. When one of my grandchildren was two, and he was very verbal, so he didn't fit into this not being able to communicate needs, he had awful temper tantrums. Um, they were kind of without rhyme or reason. They would happen even when he woke up from a nap, kind of unprovoked. Um, just terrified, just just an enormous amount of anger, not necessarily even kind of wanting one particular thing. It wasn't triggered like that, no, you can't have a candy bar or, or no, you can't do this. It was just um, his mother and dad did a wonderful job of ignoring them, but they frankly didn't go away for a while. And I, I couldn't figure them out. This gives me an explanation that, I, that makes sense to me. This was also a child that had night terror dreams. Um, I think that some, especially because they often seem to come after a nap, but not always, um, I think they were these downstairs tantrums. I, I don't think they were logical. I don't think they were manipulative. And the authors of the book suggest not that you give in, okay? When I say comfort, that doesn't mean you cave into the demands. But I think in hindsight, we were just, we were going to ignore it. That's what everybody in the family did. That's what we thought we were supposed to do for temper tantrums. I think in hindsight, especially that two-year-old, it might have been good to pick him up and hold him in a bear hug and just talk. If I had to do over, I would do not giving in. But I think, I think this will sometimes come with fear. Um, it's just kind of like the emotion is so intense and they don't know what to do about it. I have a vivid memory of this child as a little older um, cutting his foot at my house on something. And it was a cut. It, was, it hurt. I don't doubt that. But he really became almost hysterical. And I... And he's a lovely 18-year-old that shows none of these signs anymore, okay? I mean, I think that's important to remember. But I think he was just a child that, for whatever reason, kind of overreacted to very intense emotion. And I don't think we needed to, 
I think we could have comforted. And when I say intervention and definition, that's giving him more words. He was so upset he couldn't come up with words. Your foot is really hurting right now. Are you really scared? You've seen that blood kind of make you feel uncomfortable. If you think that it wasn't going to stop running, it is. See, we've got it turned up. Well, you're talking through. You're giving him some perspective. Now, if you give in to this one, if, if what they want is a candy bar and you give them the candy bar, then I think you will make these into <coughs> upstairs tantrums <coughs> that they will use deliberately. <coughs> Does this make sense? Yes, Becky. Um, so what about when the downstairs turn into very logical objections? As a child, can you not have that Yes, you have to. You, I have to. You have it. to intervene, and that one's tough. And they'll put you in those positions, but you want to do it with as little emotion. Is it, it everything in you is screaming? I can't believe you're doing this again. But it's I'm sorry. This is our rule. That's not safe. We're not going to do that. I'm. I. It is my style. You can tell I'm such a talker. I like talking the child down. But again, no emotion. No wringing your hands. No, I can't believe you're doing this again. Uh, no negative attention. Just, I'm sorry, we can't try, we can't. I mean, it's not fun, but I have, sometimes you just have to bear hug one until they can get themselves calm enough. In other words, that protects them, and it, hopefully you can do it in such a way that you don't get kicked. Yes? So our two-year-old has the She may not. She may not. Yes. That, thank you for sharing that because you've got to do what feels good to the child. And it, it may be that, that they want to be completely left alone. It may be that you can stand back and begin to talk in a soothing voice. I, that's a great point. That it's going to be very individualistic. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. I'm, I'm, a lot of this is ringing true for my four year old. And uh, he also doesn't respond if I. I think a lot of this stuff is like anger and um, just big emotions, fear. Are there any, because we've used time out some, I've tried a few times to use, you know, if we're in like a dinner, for instance, or a situation where he needs to kind of separate from the rest of the family to calm down. He doesn't like that because he thinks he's being punished. Yes. So it's not just about calming down, it's he associates it with I'm, I'm being separated and I'm in trouble. Are there any ideas for like sensory activities or, or something that could help him? I don't actually know if anybody I think that's a great thing to pursue. I honestly don't know. I mean, I do know that children develop sometimes, I mean, just even the, the soft animal or the, the lobby that some of them carry with them for a long time. Uh, where it's, it's self-soothing, and that's good, that's healthy, that's, frankly, as adults, we need some of that, too. I'm not mm -hmm. cooked, this is sometimes self-soothing. <laughs> I'm serious, I mean, I've tried to cut way back on that, so when I really kind of need something to help me put things in perspective. One of the things, and I'm, I'm going to stop here, one of the things, and at that moment, this won't help, one of the things that was not regularly out next, what was, is, is um, doing something physical. 
for many children, they don't know what to do with that emotion. And so if you can do something physical uh, with them, and frankly, this is even good for us as an adult. I remember being, I don't get angry very often, but I remember something <coughs> happened, and it wasn't with a child, it was with an administrator at school, but I was so angry about that. I just didn't have angry. And I remember that afternoon, I just went wrong. I just, I had, I had to walk it through. And, and the, uh, teaching the child to pound a pillow, that's healthy. That's get that energy. You know, you get that adrenaline when you get that anger, and so you got to do something with it. So, yeah, I, I think that would be wonderful to try to work toward finding something. And I would be very, again, this is so counterintuitive, but more and more saying, you're not in trouble. This is help. This is helping you. Out. This is giving you a chance, and you're going to get it.